In Genesis chapter 21, we have been looking at a family, Abram, Sarai, um, they, uh, God had given them a promise back in chapter 12, the first two verses of chapter 12. I'm going to give you a son. That was 25 years before chapter 21. Tw- 25 years. God said, I'm going to give you a, a promise. I'm going to give you a son. They were 75. She was 75. He was 85 um, at, the, uh, at the time. Or, I'm sorry, 75 and 65 at the time of the promise. And, uh, and so here, uh, God made good on the promise, and they waited. They waited for 25 years. Now, they didn't wait patiently. Um, in fact, after they had, uh, Abram had went and led his family into Egypt, God brought them out of Egypt. You remember the whole story. We walked through this, this charade of, of decisions that Abram and Sarai had made. Um, Abram in Egypt told her, tell, tell them you're my sister. Uh, Pharaoh takes her off uh, to marry her and uh, doesn't yet, and uh, he's released, or she's released back to Abram. Uh, they leave, but they don't leave alone. They leave with a lot of things, a lot of servants. One of those servants was an, a girl by the name of Hagar. She was an Egyptian, and about 10 years after that, uh, Abram now is... Uh, is 85, Sarai is 75, and uh, they have waited 10 years and no child. Uh, 10 years since Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2, when the promise was given. And uh, they, like us, oftentimes get impatient. They got impatient. And Sarai said to Abram, marry Hagar. Hagar's young. Uh, She can have the promise uh, that God had given. Obviously, God's not going to give me a child in my old age. I'm barren. I've never had any children. And so Abram said, okay. And he marries Hagar, an Egyptian slave servant in his home. And, uh, and Hagar has a child. His name is Ishmael. And, uh, and then we get to chapter 21. Other things happened after that. Uh, they, last Wednesday night, they went to the town or the city of Gerar. Uh, there was a king there, Abimelech. And uh, Abram told Sarah the same thing, or Abraham and Sarah. Now, uh, Abraham told Sarah, tell everybody you're my sister. She does. And Abimelech brings her into his house to marry her. God comes in a dream and tells Abimelech, don't marry her. She's someone else's wife. And, uh, and we just see one bad decision after another in Abram, Abraham and Sarah's marriage and in their life. Uh, they get impatient. They make decisions based upon fear. And uh, I'll be honest with you, we can relate, can't we? We do the same things. We get impatient. Uh, We make decisions based upon fear rather than faith. We walk by uh, fear uh, rather than walking in faith. And so here here we are, uh, 25 years since uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when the promise was given, and 25 years, and finally, finally, um, a son is born. Sarah becomes pregnant. And she has the promised son. So that's what we're going to read in the first 21 verses today of chapter 21. So if you've got your Bible, read with me, and then we'll go back and unpack it. Uh, look what happens. said, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. 
and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. I want you to underline that name, Isaac. That's really, really significant name. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old um, as God had commanded him. Now we talked about this two Wednesday nights ago, uh, not to bring up a a sore subject, right? But uh, when God established the covenant with Abraham, he said, this is going to be the sign, the seal of that covenant. I want you to circumcise yourself and all of the males in your home, servants in your home who are adults. At that time, he had a son, Ishmael, um, and uh, when Ishmael was 13 years old, um, his father, Abraham, circumcised him. And So watch this. You're going to see at the end of this message, we've already talked about it, Ishmael becomes the father of 12 sons later in his life, um, which in turn become the Arab nations. And, uh, and so you have the Arabs in the world come from the descend there, the descendants of Ishmael. And to this day, Arabs, specifically Muslims, they circumcise their boys on their 13th birthday, all because of Ishmael. Now, um, tradition from the Jewish tradition, we see this in Jesus' life. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He was born a Jew in the line of Isaac. Paul, when he even talked about his own testimony in the book of Acts, he says, I was a Pharisee, I was raised up uh, to be a Pharisee, and I was circumcised the eighth day. And to this day, Jewish boys are circumcised on the eighth day, and all of that goes back to Isaac. And so um, Abraham has a son, the promised son, and on his eighth day of life, Isaac is circumcised. Why? because it was a seal of the covenant that God had established with Abraham and all of his family. And so we've talked uh, a lot about circumcision in the last week or week and a half, and uh, maybe that's all we'll have to talk about it for a while. Amen? But look at verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, uh, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, this is difficult, watch this. Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. She doesn't even call him by name. She, she says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, not Hagar and Ishmael, cast out the bondwoman and her son, For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. 
And I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy, uh, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Now look at verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. When God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink, So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took um, a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That was where she was from. Now, there's a lot in those 21 verses, so I I want to kind of walk through it and unpack it. And a lot of it's difficult um, to understand just uh, that... that, um, that here a, a man would say, now, in this time, Ishmael's about 16 years old. He was 13 um, when, um, when he was circumcised. A year later, his brother Isaac was born. He was 14. When Isaac was weaned, he was probably about 2. And so makes Ishmael 16 years old when Abraham looked at um, Hagar and Ishmael and uh, gave them a skin of water, gave them bread, and sent them out. Um, And it's kind of odd to think that Hagar would take a 16-year-old boy, um, a a young man, and lay him under a shrub. um, And uh, it almost sounds like an, an, an infant, but... But he was a, he was a teenager. He was see, he was driving already, right? And so so she she lays him under the shrub because he had gotten so weak, and uh, and she she got back away from him because she did not want to watch her son take his last breath. And what's fascinating to me is here's a lady and her son. They're not under the promise. They have they don't have the same faith in God that Abraham and Sarah have. And, uh, and, and these people essentially are, are lost, and God hears them, and he responds to them, and he blesses them. And, uh, and we said this last Sunday, um, God blesses, because he's a loving God, he even blesses those who don't love him, right? And so we see that in the world that we live in, and we see it in this story. Here, here's the first thing I want you to see, a big promise made good. R- write that down. It's our first uh, point today, the first seven verses, a big promise made good. 25 years had passed. You, you remember when God came to Abram 
in chapter 17, it was verse 17, and he told him specifically, you're going to have a son. And in verse 17 of chapter 17, the Bible says that Abram fell down laughing. I mean, he fell out laughing, fell on the ground laughing. How could this be? Look at me. I'm an old man. It's never going to happen. And he laughed. And in the very next chapter, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came into their house in Mamre and spoke the same thing to Abram again. And they heard um, Sarai laugh on the other side of the door. Remember we talked about she was eavesdropping? And when she heard the angel said that, uh, that, that Sarah's going to conceive, and this is in chapter 18, verse 12, the Bible said that Sarah laughed. Now, they told, God told Abraham, when you have a son, I want you to name him Isaac. Why? Do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. His name means laughter. Why did God say, I want you to name that boy laughter? Because God got the last laugh, didn't he? And every time they called his name, they were reminded of how they laughed at the promise that God had given them. God made good on his promise. God waited until Abraham was 100 years old. Now, he had given him the promise when he was 75 years old, but he waited until he was 100. Why would he have done that? Why in the world would God have waited till Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 before he made good on this promise? Why would he have told them 25 years earlier and then drag his feet? Well, one, one thought is they, you know... Maybe they all could be in diapers together, right? A hundred-year-old man. Um, they could save on diapers. You know, it depends. And uh, and and so uh, so so you had that. I, I don't know that that is definitely the the case. Why would God have waited till he was a hundred? You get my sad little dad joke right there. Huh? I just had to slide that depends right in there. Why would God have waited till? Abraham was 100. You know, we've talked about this already. It's really important for God to get the glory. It's really important for him to get the glory. And, And the impossible things for us, God makes possible. I want you to write this down. This story reminds us that God can do anything with nothing. I want you to think about that in your own life. God can do anything with nothing. He created this world from nothing. God took nothing and made everything. He can do anything with absolutely nothing. And in this story, it's pointing not to Abraham and Sarah. This story points to God. God did a miracle, much like the miracle of the Lord Jesus' birth. The birth of Sarah, the birth of Isaac and, and, and his mother Sarah, that whole story really points us down the pages of our Bible to the New Testament where a young girl would come, having never been with a man, and, and miraculously conceive the Holy Spirit and have a son. And it made the same news in that place that all those years prior, Sarah's birth, Um, Sarah's pregnancy and Isaac's birth 
had made. You see, God, a big promise was made good in these first few verses. But but I want you to see this next thing. A big problem was made worse. When a big promise was made good, a big problem was made worse. And in this story, you have conflict, family stuff. Now, I don't know about y'all, um, but, uh, but families tend to have conflict. I don't know if that happens at your home. Um, I don't know if that happens in extended families. I mention this at the holidays, uh, you know, all of the time. Uh, most of the folks who fill your home at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you haven't talked to them since last Thanksgiving or Christmas because, you know, y'all don't really see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And um, may, maybe politically, you know that you can't bring stuff up at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Your wife's told you don't talk about that. Uh, don't, don't bring those conversations up. And, and so re- really seriously, we, we have family dynamics in, in our homes and our families that uh, it's just breeding grounds for conflict. Well, this was one of those cases, and Ishmael is 13 years old, um, uh, 14 rather, when Isaac is born. He's a teenager in the house and, um, and when, a, when an infant's there. And, uh, and, and you got to know, he was the only one, and for, for 14 years, he got all of his father's attention, and now the baby's getting all the attention. And, uh, and Ishmael has to be irritated by that. When my mom and dad married, my mom um, had two boys um, from a previous marriage. They're my brothers, Rick and Greg. Rick's 10, uh, 15 years older than I am, and Greg's 13 years older than I am. When my mom and dad married, they had my older brother, Barry, who's two years older than me, and then they had their favorite. And, um, and so when, uh, when Barry was born... Uh, My brother Rick was 13, Greg was 11, and they wanted to help name the new baby. You know, they're 13 and 11, and so they begged my parents to name Barry Poindexter, which I really thought would have been a great name. I I didn't get to vote. I wasn't here yet, but, you know, we could have called him Dexter, and I think that would have been good, you know, Poindexter. The problem is, is when I was born two years later, they had really begged my parents that I would be called Aloysius. And so Poindexter and Aloysius, Dexter and Al could have been our names. How horrible would that be? What, what does that remind you of? It reminds you that teenagers should never have any part of naming children, right? They should never have any part of raising children um, because a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, when a baby shows up, it rocks their world. Ishmael's world got rocked. And, uh, and when Isaac turns two, uh, his daddy, Abraham, throws a party a feast, it says, uh, to celebrate that uh, this uh, this milestone that he's being weaned from his mother, and uh, essentially two years old. That that was uh, that's that time where he begins to spend more time with dad and less time with mom. I remember with our boys. Um, when Jeb was born, um, I'm telling you, we had all of those cute little outfits, and some of them were, were like little dress-looking things, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out, right? And, and uh, they, she called them gowns, and, uh, and uh, I was like, whoa, I don't know about that. And then the gowns progressed, and, and they got those little smocked little things. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? 
It's just they had these little smock things, and um, and uh, then then you know they had legs on them, and then the snaps that would you know come off. But the smocked little pictures and stuff, and they just looked really feminine to me. And and uh, and so I told Andrew, I said, "Listen, um, can, can we get him some camo? You know, can." Can we put him in some like work boots and, and wranglers and, and a camo shirt? And, and so it was just this, it was contentious, you know, just in that time. For two years, I was really struggling. I wanted to look like a boy um, and dress like a boy. And, and so uh, we decided his second birthday, <laughs> we didn't decide. I decided. I said, listen, he can smock it. Till the second birthday, but after his second birthday, no more smocks. Okay, um, he he we're dressing him up like a boy after that, and uh, and so so all three of our boys at their second birthday, uh, the smocks died and boy clothes came on. Right, it's a turning of a page. It is a it's a it's a new era. It is it it's a a baby. Um, turning into a boy and and that's when um that's when it happened in 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 Isaac's life no more smock he was weaned from his mom and dad threw a feast dad threw a feast and Ishmael got irritated Ishmael um is 16 now and uh should have been getting the keys to the car should have been uh you know this turning of a page from you know being this teenager to a young man and all the attention was going to Isaac, and, uh, and the Bible says that in, in verse 9, Sarah noticed something. You know, I got an idea. She probably was looking for something, right? Um, but she noticed something that Ishmael um, was, was looking um, and, and condescending uh, toward his little brother, um, Isaac, and it, it welled up in Sarah's heart, and, uh, and, and now this problem has gotten bigger. I mean, it was already big when you have polygamy. It was never God's plan uh, for marriages to, um, to be uh, polygamous marriages where a man would have multiple wives. They stepped out of God's will for uh, Abraham to marry Hagar. Um, it was uh, disobedience. It was, uh, it was a bonehead decision for Sarah to even bring it up, not trusting God and fearful that God's promise would never come true. And so uh, it was never intended in God's plan for a man to have more than one wife because a man can't really handle more than one wife, right? And so, uh, so, so, but Abraham has two wives, and so that became an issue uh, right off the bat. Now he has two sons, one from each of their, uh, each of his wives, and, um, and one is the son of promise, and one is a son of disobedience. And Sarah says, Abram, Abraham, you have to, uh, you have to cast them out. And so there's, there's conflict. There's conflict between Sarah and Hagar. It's a baby mama drama uh, in Abraham's house. There's conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. And that's just the beginning. I'm, I mentioned to you about the circumcision that when Ishmael was circumcised at 13, tradition now is that um, uh, Arabs um, practice circumcision at 13, uh, 4,000 years later, we're living 4,000 years after this, um, Ishmael had 12 sons, um, 
the descendants of Ishmael are the Arabs, um, specifically the Muslims. 1.9 billion Muslims are on this earth. And I, I give you another little tidbit of information. If you look at verse 19, uh, God heard the cry of Ishmael under the shrub. Um, the angel of the Lord comes to um, Hagar and says, Arise, in verse 18, lift up your son, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. 4,000 years later, 1.9 billion Muslims. The fastest growing religion on the face of this earth currently right now is, Mus is Islam. And many of those 1.9 billion Muslims make a pilgrimage one time in their faith to go to that well. That well is Mecca. There is a shrine built. It's called the Well of Hagar. And that is where Muslims go and they go back to the place where Ishmael's life was spared and that well still is flowing water and those Muslims go to pay respect and to honor it's a holy site it's the number one holy site for Muslims to go to this place in Mecca now watch this Isaac would be born he wouldn't have 12 sons but he would be the father of Jacob who would have 12 that would become the 12 tribes of Israel and 2 million Jews live upon this planet currently also, 2.4 billion Christians live upon this planet currently, and still there is conflict between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac to this day. It started here in chapter 21 when Sarah said, cast them out, and Abraham gives Hagar and Ishmael one skin of water. He said, man, that, this guy was wealthy. He could have set them up. Um, he could have found them another place to live. What kind of father would take a 16-year-old son um, and send him out with water and bread? It's, it's hard, really, to, to even think about um, a decision or the love of a father. But I want you to know something. Family dynamics cripple our children in their future. F family things, decisions that we make, and you and I would never make a decision like this. We would never send out um, a, a son of ours to fend for himself with only bread and water. But, but family dynamics that we have in our own families cripple our children for their future. I want us just to think through a couple of those um, as we, we talk about maybe having some balance in our parenting. Because Abraham and Sarah here in this passage, um, it just seems like they, it's just one bad decision after another. And, and Abraham makes a, a parenting decision 
that um, that is very difficult for us to even uh, understand. And so I, I'd encourage you, maybe, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe your parents, maybe you're a grandparent and you have, um, you get to still, you still get the ear of your child or your children, your grown children to speak into them. I want you to jot these few things down. These are things that the Lord just um, gave me as I was preparing for this message this week. The, the first uh, thing that we need to have balance in um, in parenting is we want to be involved in our children's life, um, but we don't have to be their best friend. You see, there, there has to be a balance in being involved um, and um, versus being their best friend or having a desire to be their, their best friend. And, and, and I would say this generation may struggle with that more than previous generations. Some of you are like, I never struggled with that. Um, th- this generation does. I see young moms really, their, their whole uh, desire in their life is to be their daughter's best friend um, and, 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 and there's a fine line between uh, being involved in your children's life, setting boundaries, um, loving them, encouraging them, and being their best friend. Because when we are their best friend, those other lines of boundaries get blurred because of our innate deep desire to be liked and trusted and a friend of our child here's the second thing wanting them to succeed versus not allowing them to fail this these are this is good there's a fine line between loving and enabling our children um we want our children to succeed but i can tell you sometimes the greatest path to success is failing And I noticed that this generation, my generation of parents, helicopter uh, parent their children. They they are constantly over them, watching them, removing obstacles out of their... My wife will tell you this. She's an administrator. We have administrators here. We have coaches here in our church. We have teachers in this church. They will tell you their job would be easy if it weren't for the parents. In our attempt to help our children succeed, we remove every obstacle out from in front of their life. This obstacle that may trip them, or they may fail, or they may not be accepted, or they may not be on the starting team, or they may not be the most popular, or they, uh, that there may um, be a tryout, that they may not get it. And, and our fear of having to console them and teach them that we, they don't always win. Everyone can't be winners. Everybody can't win, be first place. And in and, and our attempt to avoid that conversation, we do all that we can to remove obstacles. That, that's why everyone gets a trophy. But I will tell you the greatest path to success often has major failures in it. You would not be who you are if you hadn't had the failures in our life. The third thing is leading them with strength versus never being wrong. 
You know, God has called us to lead our children. God has called us uh, to the responsibility of raising them and leading them. Uh, But if our children never see us own a mistake, they never hear us say, I'm sorry, I, I blew it. If we lose our cool and we, we lose our temper and we, uh, we get angry and we shout and we get angry and we make a mountain out of a, a molehill and, and we never apologize for blowing it. We never apologize for losing our cool. We never apologize for saying things we shouldn't. Then all that the most important thing is that we lead with a strong arm and a strong hand and we're never wrong. And our children will be raised. They won't look at you as perfect. They'll look at you as a hypocrite. Because you could never own the fact that you didn't do right. I can tell you there's some moms and dads in this room and will be in this room again at 11 o'clock that the greatest thing you can do is grab your son or daughter and, and, and look them in the eyes and say, you know what, I didn't handle that well and I'm sorry. I blew it. You see, Abraham, had he been able to own this, he could have made right something that for the last 4,000 years there's been conflict from the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. He never owned it. The last thing is, you and I, a boundary in our parenting If you have multiple children, loving each of them independently versus picking favorites and abandoning others. You know, you you may have a, a, a child that you have more in common with than your other children. But if your other children, you don't love them independently. You don't love the things they love. You don't get excited about the things they're excited about then uh, the other children will think that you've picked a favorite over them because the child that you have the most in common with is the one that they see your love and attention going to, and ultimately they'll feel abandoned because of of that. You see, Abraham saw the promise in Isaac and abandoned Ishmael, and, and, and Ishmael was raised the rest of his days fatherless because Abraham picked Isaac over Ishmael. You know, oftentimes we do this and we don't even know we're doing it. And and the blessing of the parent is very, very important for the future of the child, raising them up. Our goal as parents is we want to raise them up to fear God, to love Jesus, and to make Jesus known in this world, my fear is is that sometimes our family dynamics cripple our children for the future that God would have them to live. And we got to find balance in parenting. I think Genesis chapter 21 shows us a couple where, where there was a family, rather, where there was not a lot of Balance. I, I want you to see this last thing. We, we talk about a big promise made good, a big problem made worse. But here's the third thing, a big picture made clear. 
um, that this, while it seems so odd to us and that God would say, listen to Sarah, your wife, cast them out, it's almost as if God put a stamp of approval on what you and I would say was a poor parenting decision, and he did. Why did he do that? Because he makes a big picture come clear. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Galatian church. The Apostle Paul was raised up. He was a scholar of the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He was a Jew, a Pharisee. He was a, a, a teacher of the law. He knew the word backward and forward. And when he was writing this letter to encourage the believers in Galatia, look at verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, and one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman, who was of the bondwoman, was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. Look at verse 24, Galatians 4, 24. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, that's the one that was the law, the one of the flesh, uh, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of all of us. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has made more children than she who has a husband. Look at verse 8. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Because of Jesus, we've been made free, born of the flesh, but we've become children of promise. That's what Paul's doing. He's taking the story in Genesis chapter 21, and he is pointing out these two people, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael born of the flesh, according to the flesh, but Isaac born through the promise. Now we, as believers, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so it is now. <laughs> those who are outside persecute those who are inside. That those who are not saved persecute those who are saved. That's what Paul's saying. But watch this in verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren... We're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You see, in Genesis chapter 21, God made this big picture become more clear. Ishmael, watch this, Ishmael represented the fruit of the flesh, our old nature. Isaac was born representing the fruit of faith, our new nature. Hagar represents works. She was brought into this, and the works of marriage and consummating that marriage brought about of the fruit of flesh, who was Ishmael. Sarah, though, represented grace. God poured his grace out on her in her old age, and she was uh, given a son. And Sarah said, cast out the bondwoman and her son. 
no longer works of flesh, but now grace and faith. Do you see the picture? You see why Sarah would say that? Sarah didn't know why she was saying it, but yet God said, listen, Abraham, to her because she's speaking truth to you right now. You get out of your life the works of the flesh and you receive into your life the works of grace. You receive into your life the works of faith. You remove the works of the flesh from your life. And and Ishmael and Hagar were a picture of what you and I as believers have to cast out of our life. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God lest anyone should boast. We're not saved through the flesh or through the works of flesh. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. Saved by grace through faith. Abraham had to cast them out to protect the lineage of Jesus. Jesus would come to cast out the work of the flesh and replace it with grace that would come through his work on the cross. Genesis chapter 1, 21. Man, teaches us a lot about parenting, doesn't it? Teaches us about marriage. Teaches us about how um, problems can become bigger when we walk by fear rather than by faith. And and how a, a moment's decision can impact generations that follow us. But you know, the, I believe the biggest message in that is to us. That while we live by faith and we trust in his grace, we have to constantly cast off and remove the works of the flesh in our life. That that's the picture that was made more clear because God's redeemed us by the works of Jesus on the cross and we have to remove what the flesh is constantly doing in our life. This one, I need us to bow our heads together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's, let's think about this and allow the Lord just to deal and speak with us. You, you may be in this room this morning. You have your children with you, your teenage children. You may, um, God may have just pointed out to you just some things in your life and your parenting and uh, dynamics in your family that are, are literally crippling and handcuffing your children for their future. And your thought and, and need for them to succeed has been coupled with you removing obstacles with uh, it's been coupled with you uh, maybe wanting to be their best friend. And maybe today you've seen some weak parenting even in your own life. And, and it may be a good time to, to bring them to this altar and say, this day changes the rest. That this day is a moment where, where I'm sorry for what I've done and, and it's time for us to move forward. Maybe today you need to surrender your life to Jesus and receive his gift of grace through his work on the cross for you. So our pastors will be here. If you want someone to pray with you, if you want someone to pray with you and your family, you come. If you want to just come here to the altar, you come. If you want to join First Baptist Halton this morning, you come. Uh, Whatever God's leading you to do, let's pray, and then we'll stand together and have an invitation. Father, we love you. We give you this time. We ask you, Lord, to move in this place. And, God, we, um, we pray, Father, 
that you would reconcile, restore, rebuild covenant relationships in this world, in this room, because Satan hates them. And God, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen marriages and families in this room. God, that you would win victories in this room. And God, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, church. Whatever God's leading you to do, I want you to feel the freedom to respond. Our pastors are here. We got counselors who'd love to visit with you. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do, you come as we as we sing.